0: This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the health department reports 12,624 new cases of coronavirus, 35 more fatalities, and the governor got his very first heckler at a coronavirus press conference.
1: So I think the. the, Every
2: day, and you are doing nothing. So I think the public. Over 4,000 people have died and you are blaming the protesters. You guys have no plan and you're doing nothing. Shame on you.
0: If you listened to Monday's show, you heard the governor say it's safe to reopen schools because he thinks kids won't spread the coronavirus. Maybe he should think again. Today, we'll hear from an actual doctor who says that's just plain wrong. They
3: can spread this virus. Even though we don't have all the statistical data on that, we do have the science data on that. That's enough to show that they are at risk and at risk of spreading this virus to everyone else in our community.
0: Officials in South Florida are getting anxious, and who can blame them? Florida's the new epicenter of COVID-19, and Miami-Dade is the epicenter of Florida. And many of them down there are blaming the governor
4: feels as though he's making excuses for this and not planning ahead. He continues to tell us how it's not that bad. I think that the first step to us solving this is us at least admitting that we have a problem. Houston, we have a
0: problem. As Florida's record-setting COVID spike continues, the governor's team is resisting any suggestion to roll back the reopening or go into another lockdown. But a new study out of Harvard suggests most of Florida should be shutting down again.
2: 44 of the state's 67 counties had reached a critical tipping point in which 25 of every 100,000 people had tested positive for COVID-19. The Harvard public health experts recommend those counties resume stay home orders.
0: On today's Sunrise interview, we'll get the scoop on the race to replace Republican Francis Rooney in the Congressional District 19. Jacob Ogles is covering the race in Southwest Florida and share some insights. We'll also have your calendar of events and the story of a Florida man who said he was on a mission when he rammed a church with a minivan and tried to burn it down. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, July 14th. Happy Bastille Day. And remember, they didn't storm the Bastille to free political prisoners. They did it because that's where all the guns were stored. Let's get things started with a bit of fact-checking. Over the weekend, Governor Ron DeSantis said Florida's public schools will be forced to reopen next month, and he dismissed fears that kids would spread the disease to their teachers, who are far more likely to die because they're a lot older. The governor insisted that will not be a problem because he's seen the science.
1: Now the other issue is people say well kids may be the vectors then in the community because that's what happens in an influenza outbreak uh, it's like a petri dish they infect everybody and then it spreads throughout the community but i think it's been found over and over again as people have looked at this and studied this particularly in europe uh, that the school children actually aren't vectors for this for whatever reason they they usually get in, infected by the parents they usually, usually aren't infecting adults and places that have had schools open have not seen the schools uh, contribute to increasing the prevalence um, of the virus. So just from a student perspective, the risk is low.
0: DeSantis repeated that claim Monday, but instead of asking an attorney slash politician with zero medical credentials for an expert opinion, what say we check in with a real doctor? Her name is Eileen Marty. She's an infectious disease specialist from Florida International University, and she says the claim that kids won't spread COVID-19 is absolute nonsense.
3: You have to distinguish the risk of contamination from the risk of infection and disease manifestation and people don't understand that. That's really important. This is crucial when you start to talk about schools because we know children can get contaminated just like anybody else. And we also now have tons of studies that show that their viral load in their respiratory tract is the same or more as anybody else. And therefore, therefore, they can spread this virus, even though we don't have all the um, statistical data on that, we do have the science data on that. We don't, you don't, know, in this case, that's enough to show that they are risk and at risk of, of spreading this virus to everyone else in our community.
0: This is just one instance where the governor has tried to minimize the danger of COVID-19. There have been plenty of others. State Senator Jose Javier Rodriguez of Miami-Dade describes the governor's approach as the three D's. Downplay, distort, do nothing.
5: We here in Florida are at the world epicenter of the pandemic. And those of us who are serving in Miami-Dade are at the epicenter of the epicenter. And, you know, it is July and we're still asking for a plan. All we have again is downplaying distortion and doing nothing. And you know, a a lot of analysts have started to wonder if Governor DeSantis's unspoken plan is actually herd immunity, which is frightening if that's the case. And we need an answer to clarify that that is not the case in the absence.
0: You can't blame the senator for being concerned. After all, he lives in the epicenter of Florida's pandemic. Miami-Dade Mayor Carlos Jimenez says things are worse now than at any time during the COVID crisis.
6: We know that we're going through
5: a a rough time here. We have over 2,000 people now in the hospital with COVID-19. We have uh, over 400 people in ICUs. We have over 200 people in ventilators. These are all record highs for us. And the positivity rate here in Miami-Dade County now is over 25%. We uh, we have taken some measures that we've uh, instituted new rules and regulations. We've instituted a curfew to try to drive down the level, the positivity rate down so that we can start to reduce the number of uh, people that we have, residents that are in in the hospital. We do not want to overload the hospital capacity of uh, of Miami-Dade County.
0: Florida's failure to come up with a comprehensive plan to contain the virus is vexing State Senator Annette Tadeo of Miami-Dade, who wonders how we managed to get five months into a crisis without developing a real strategy.
2: I don't understand, honestly, why we don't have a plan to get ahead of it instead of always going after it, reacting instead of being proactive. So please realize we have a huge problem with testing and we have a huge problem with unemployment. So we need leadership and we need people to help us, um, you know, get through this because we're never going to get ahead. There's a Harvard uh, public health experts that I've been following, trying to see what they recommend. As of Sunday, 44 of the state's 67 counties uh, in Florida had reached a critical tipping point in which 25 of every 100,000 people had tested positive for COVID-19. The Harvard public health experts recommend those counties resume stay-home orders. Let's not fight over restaurants versus gyms versus this versus that. We need to get ahead of this virus, not keep constantly behind it.
0: State Senator Oscar Brayne in Broward County says no one should be surprised at where we are today because Florida screwed up at the very beginning of the crisis and has yet to recover.
4: We have been watching press conference after press conference from our governor where it feels as though he's making excuses for this and not planning ahead. He continues to tell us how it's not that bad. I think that the first step to us solving this is us at least at admitting that we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. We all want to know the silver lining, but we also want to be told the truth. And we want to understand how dire this is. This piecemeal process that they're going through is only going to lead us back to having, possibly, have to shut down again. And having to shut down to the point where people can't get there, can't can't get out there to work, can't get out there to eat, can't get out there to do the things that we need to do. If we don't do the things, make the sacrifices now that we should have made months ago, we're going to end up right back where we started. Our leadership needs to understand that for us to get to the point where we want to be, we have to do some sort of sacrifice. And look, we can start with making a statewide mask order. You know, um, I I saw a lot of people very excited about the president uh, wearing a mask at uh, the hospital but you understand that's what he should have done you know chris rock said you don't get credit for feeding your children right you're supposed to do that he was supposed to do that so i'm not going to give him credit for something he was supposed to do he should have been doing been done that and the last thing that i'll say is we at the state in the legislature have a role to play right and we have not been allowed to be a part of this many of the reasons why you're not getting the information that we hope to be getting from the state is because we haven't been allowed to advocate for it because we haven't done a special session. We haven't done an oversight committee. We haven't haven't done anything, but we have a role to play, whether it be appropriating money, whether it be um, an oversight of our health department, um, whether it be making sure that we have the correct numbers and people are doing what needs to happen. Uh, the, The DEO system is in shambles. And despite what you'll hear from the governor, I'm here in my office right now. You heard the phone ring. It's a good chance that's a constituent that wasn't getting their uh, unemployment, or that can't uh, make it through the uh, make it through the, the the labyrinth that they've set up for you to get the money, which will be re- which will be reduced uh, come July 30th if we don't do something.
0: Florida has already been through a shutdown, and Dr. Eileen Marty at Florida International University says that is the best way to stop the disease. But she says it didn't work because the state did not use that time to set up all the mechanisms that keep the virus from spreading.
3: There's no question. On the one hand, if we only only think pandemic, absolutely putting down the lid on this thing would be the most effective, most rapid way of putting this under some level of control. But We can't make the same mistake if we do that, that we did the first time. The mistake that we made the first time was that we didn't put in place all the tools that we needed. And that includes the tools of proper public perception of the risk so that people will abide by by all the new normal guidelines, that people will wear the mask and properly at the right time and in the right way. All this has to come into play. We have to have in place the contact tracers. We have to have in place a better computer uh, software program. And we have to have the way to isolate members of a family. Anytime anybody's positive, you should immediately test every single member of their family, regardless of symptoms. That's a huge mistake that we've never done that as a policy. That should be policy. And once you do that, anyone who's negative gets put in a different place than anyone who's positive. That's super important in order to squash this thing down. Uh, And they're still quarantined. You still have to quarantine them in case they turn positive a few days later.
0: Congresswoman Debbie McCarcel-Powell of Miami-Dade says this all boils down to leadership or the lack of it.
6: Since Florida entered phase one of reopening, cases have gone up at least 1,237 percent. Miami-Dade's hospitals are facing a crisis. The ICU capacity that has been reported is at 94 percent. And the fact of the matter is that now Miami-Dade is the epicenter of Florida's coronavirus outbreak. I join my constituents in calling on our state and county leaders to listen to people in the community who for months have sacrificed to stay at home, closed down their businesses, and expected to have a robust public health infrastructure by now. We all know that we have an individual part to play, but we expect much more from our local leadership. And we all know, and we've known this all along, what we need to do to get the situation under control. Four things. One, testing. People shouldn't be in the dark as to where to get tested. I continue to get calls uh, asking me, Where are the testing sites? They shouldn't have to stand in lines for hours and wait seven to eight days to get the results. Two, contact tracing. Instead of pointing fingers, the state must work closely with local municipalities to enlist more contact tracers. I have heard from local mayors who volunteered city workers and first responders to be contact tracers, and the state turned them away. Three, quarantine. We still don't have any answers on how we're going to quarantine those who test positive and what resources and support we can give them. Instead, we should be identifying local hotels where confirmed cases can isolate comfortably and they are given the necessary supports and resources during their time apart from their loved ones. And the last thing that we need to do, masks. Despite being an international hotspot for COVID-19, We still don't have a full mask order in place at the state level. The longer we wait, the more this virus will spread and the more difficult it's going to be to contain.
0: Governor DeSantis was in Miami-Dade Monday where he promised more support in the fight against COVID-19 and tried to reassure folks the state has their back.
1: This is the toughest epi- part of the epidemic in our state, um, and I know they've been working on it for a long time. We've been, we've been helping you a long time. Uh, we're going to get through it. You guys are a strong city. Uh, you're a strong county. Uh, and you're really a great engine for the state of Florida. So, you know, it's not not necessarily going to be easy, but I'm, I'm 100% confident uh, that we're going to get through this in, in good stead.
0: Florida Politics is reporting that a lobbyist who attended a recent Republican fundraiser near Jacksonville has tested positive for COVID-19. Speaker-designate Chris Sprouls confirmed the report and says he called every lawmaker who attended, encouraging them to self-quarantine or get tested as soon as possible. Among those in attendance were future House Speaker Paul Renner, Representatives Cord Bird, Wyman Dugan, Elizabeth Federhoff, Jason Fisher, tom leake and clay yarborough plus house district 18 candidate sam garrison photos from the event show not many people wearing masks and very little in the way of social distancing in non-COVID news, a state appeals court hears arguments today in a fight over gun rights. The issue is a 2011 Florida law that threatens severe penalties if city and county officials approve new gun regulations. It was back in 1987 when the legislature prohibited local governments from passing gun regulations that were stricter than the state's. The penalties in the 2011 law were designed to strengthen that preemption by saying local officials can be fined up to 5,000 bucks or even removed from office for passing gun regulations. Three lawsuits challenging that 2011 law were filed after the school shootings at parkland the lawsuits were ultimately consolidated in leon county circuit court where judge charles Dotson declared parts of the law were indeed unconstitutional he cited issues related to legislative immunity and separation of powers supporters of the law including the national rifle association claim it's needed to prevent cities and counties from overstepping their legal authority to control guns next on sunrise a conversation with florida politics reporter jacob ogles who's covering congressional and legislative races in southwest florida and he's got a doozy for you You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged.
1: The Florida Hospital Association has released the OPEN plan, designed to allow Florida's safe resumption of elective surgeries and procedures. OPEN stands for O, observe the COVID-19 rate of community occurrence. P, prevent transmission. E, establish the process to restore elective surgeries and procedures. And N, network with all healthcare providers. You can read the open plan today at FHA.org.
0: Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest today is Jacob Ogles, a reporter for Florida politics. He's been covering politics in Florida for two decades and is focusing on the congressional and legislative races in Southwest Florida right now. That includes the wide open race for the 19th congressional district, which is now represented by Francis Rooney, who has decided it's time to get out of Washington.
5: Most important race definitely is uh, CD-19, the congressional race to replace Francis Rooney. We have got a nine-person primary right now, um, and it's, it's been <laughs> a really heated contest down here. Uh, it's typically a tradition in southwest Florida of having some self-funders that come and shake up the game and often disrupt the, the longtime elected officials. And that's certainly happening again this year. Uh, we've got Casey Asgar, who was leading our recent St. Pete poll that we just did. And he is a major self-funder. He's thrown a couple million into this. He's also come under fire for how he may have pulled loans. Uh, that's getting some attention and also some issues with his education credentials. He's not the only self-funder in here. We also have William Zyckelswaller who has been running for a long time was I think at this point the candidate who got in the race first out of everybody who's still active and he's also coming under fire for a lot of business reasons at the same time you see Byron Donald's kind of on the rise he's a state representative out of Naples and he's got the club for growth endorsement that has started to really show itself with a a lot of airtime buys, buy club for growth. The interesting thing to me, too, though, is all three of those candidates are based in Collier County, which is not where most of the voters are. It's typically a game in CB-19 of getting the money out of Collier County, but the vote's out of Lee County. And the Lee County candidates haven't been doing as well, at least not according to our poll, and not necessarily according to fundraising. Um, You have Representative Dane Eagle who's the Majority Leader in the Florida House right now. Uh, he came in at like 7% on our poll, which was a, a shock to all of us. Um, and Fort Myers Mayor Randy Henderson is at about 5%. So that's what's going on in that race. I'm curious to see whether the Lee County vote starts to coalesce around somebody. But right now, it seems to be a battle to call Collier candidates on top of the heat.
0: Now I guess a lot of people sort of assumed that Dane Eagle would have a good base of support because he is the majority leader, you know, in the uh-huh. the Florida House of Representatives, but it, it's it just is, apparently isn't translating for him, eh? Well, I think that
5: one of the things that's happened is this COVID nineteen pandemic hit this race in a lot of unusual ways. One of those is because Dane was the House Republican leader this year. Um, you know, a lot of the fundraising, he did well last fall. He he had a lot of money coming in, but he didn't spend a lot of session fundraising, even though federal candidates don't face the same prohibition that um, state candidates seeking re-election do. He really wasn't spending a lot of time raising money during session, and his plan was to aggressively build up a war chest as soon as session was done. That didn't happen. Pretty much everything Stopped in terms of fundraising in terms of door-to-door campaigning uh, in terms of a lot of the traditional post-session political activity i think that's a big reason why heather fitzenhagen sort of stepped out of this race too is the plan to build up a huge amount of money for a congressional race right after session just went out the window byron donalds was uh, raising money during session though um anything i know his fellow lawmakers have criticized him for missing some key votes so he could go raise money for his congressional campaign but you know that means he's got the money right now
0: he is sort of a political unicorn is he not i mean a black republican in south florida Mm -hmm. who is a strong trump supporter and that's basically what he's running as that is what he's
5: running as i will tell you the the game plan for everybody seems to be as pro-trump as possible right now and the attacks on everybody are to make them look as anti Trump as possible. The Club for Growth endorsement, since they spent so much money against Trump in the primary four years ago, is certainly part of the strategy to dull Byron's momentum. But yeah, he uh, certainly the demographic appeal is huge. Uh, a lot of national Republicans see a lot of benefit having a black man be the face of the party in southwest Florida right now there's a lot of rumors that the White House is kind of quietly putting its thumb on the scales because they'd love to see Byron B who shares a ticket with Donald Trump in November that's really important because <laughs> you can say you, tr- you support Trump all you want if Trump ever comes out in this race that's going to be an enormous asset to a- whoever gets that endorsement also, Byron Donald has a lot of ties to the school choice movement. You know, his wife is maybe the most active pro-choice activist in the state of Florida. Pro-choice in the sense that, of education,
0: not, not yes, reproductive freedom, choice. right?
5: Yes, yes, pro- pro-school choice. So and that's talking charter schools, that's talking uh, vouchers, uh, the advocates for those are very tied in with the Donalds, and and that's a lot of financial resources, and it's also a real sort of philosophical agenda that sets his candidacy apart.
0: Tomorrow, we'll be talking to Jacob about another hot primary in southwest Florida. That's the fight for Senate District 27, which features the establishment Republicans in Tallahassee attacking one of their own because she dared to run for a seat they wanted someone else to fill. Your calendar of events begins at 7.45 when the Indian River State College Board of Trustees holds an online meeting as it begins interviewing finalists to become the college's new president. One of those finalists is Frank Brogan, a former lieutenant governor and chancellor of the state university system. The Suwannee River Water Management District Governing Board holds an online meeting at 9. The Social Services Estimating Conference meets at 10 to analyze caseloads and expenditures for TANF, Temporary Assistance for Needy Families. The St. John's River Water Management District Governing Board meets at 10 in Palatka. The South Florida Water Management District holds an online workshop at 10 about a planned Everglades Agricultural Area Reservoir. The James Madison Institute holds an online event at 11 about reopening schools during the coronavirus pandemic. The Florida Development Finance Corporation Board of Directors meets at 1.30. The State Revenue Estimating Conference meets at 2.00. And Jill Biden, the wife of Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden, will join Congresswoman Debbie McCarcel Powell of Miami-Dade. They're taking part in an online event at 630 to discuss issues affecting Latinos. Finally today, a Florida man is jailed for setting a church on fire. Deputies in Marion County say 23-year-old Stephen Shields drove a minivan through the front door of the Queen of Peace Catholic Church in Ocala, doused the foyer with gasoline, and then set it on fire, causing extensive damage. Several people inside were preparing for mass, but no one was hurt. The arrest report says Shields told detectives he was on a mission, and what he did was awesome. He also told them he's mentally ill and recently stopped taking his meds.